Did you ever think you'd see a day when the president of the United States really worked to undermine the U.S. Postal Service, the beloved institution? It's one of the things we'll be talking about on this episode of This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Chris Warnowski and Jane Cahoon, who had a late night following the Democratic National Convention. You a bit tired this morning, Jane? Oh, a bit. (laughs) But I'm here. I'm here, ready to go. Let's get to it. What is that giant dismantled mail sorting machine that's sitting discarded behind the main Cleveland post office downtown? And how does it figure into President Donald Trump's attack on the Postal Service? Jane Cahoon, this one is a mind boggling development in the presidential campaign. We actually have a sitting U.S. president that is working to undermine one of the most beloved institutions in the country, the U.S. Postal Service. And now Cleveland has a part of it. What's this one about? Yeah, you know, as in many other cities, we've got machines and equipment that have been taken out of commission. We, we've got idle uh, equipment sitting outside the post office in the rain. And uh, a, a postal service spokesperson on Monday assured us that this was some machine that was only handling magazines. And then the head of the local postal workers union uh had a different characterization of it. He said that that's that and four additional sorting machines that are all used to process envelopes, not magazines, were also dismantled and left outside. So this has just fueled the whole, you know, we, we've heard the president say, as you said, he he wants to starve the the postal service of resources because he thinks you know, without providing any evidence that that mail-in voting is is going to lead to widespread fraud, but we know that that's just not the case. Yeah, it's complete bogus nonsense. <laughs> He's just trying to stop people from voting. It's it's just mind-boggling development. The the one thing though, the 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 spokesperson said these machines that are outside in the weather were dismantled months ago, which kind of predates this latest thing, although Donald Trump's been attacking the Postal Service since he took office. Is it possible that these machines really aren't needed because there's so much less mail to to process these days because we all communicate electronically? Well, the union guy said that all five of these sorting machines had been in use until a couple of weeks ago. So that timetable is in dispute. but. He did say that he thinks that the removal of these machines won't affect service right now uh, because the remaining ones are able to handle it. But when you have a period of high volume, as we're expected to have for this November's election, when people are going to be voting by mail, a lot of people, he, he was concerned about that. I don't know. I wonder if people are actually going to vote by mail. I wonder if people are going to be so angry about the efforts that are being done to undermine the vote, that they're going to personally deliver their ballots to the drop box or to the elections board. I mean, people get pretty upset when they feel like their voting rights are being meddled with. I, you know, up until this year, I would have had no issue mailing in my ballot. There is no way I would put my ballot in the mail now. The guy that's running the country is trying to undermine the mail system. I mean, that's not not a good thing. And, you know, it's backfiring now and there's hearings coming up. 
Um, even Dave Yost, the Republican, the attorney general of Ohio, right, got involved right. yesterday. What did he say? He sent a note to the president. What did he say? Right. I mean, I was going to say how obviously Democrats are all up in arms about this and they're they're going to come back into session and they're having these news conferences around the country today, like Tim Ryan's having one um, in Akron and another one in Youngstown. But as you said, Republicans are getting in on this act, too, with Yost writing to Trump and asking him to delay any operational changes at the post office until after the election. And then Rob Portman and some other Republicans in Congress also weighed in. They were much more polite and diplomatic. <laughs> what a shot. <laughs> Wait, Rob Portman not taking a strong you know, stance on anything? Like thanking, thanking Louis DeJoy for his service. You know, the, the <laughs> Trump appointee who was like a mega donor to Trump, who's behind all these changes now. And, you know, writing to him, I guess, and, and just asking him to, you know, take a look at this and ensure accurate and prompt delivery of election related materials. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Can I just say, I think Go it's ahead. a, I think, <laughs> what, like, I appreciate the fact that Dave Yost actually spoke out about this, but he did it under the guise that what is happening right now has some worth and some meaning, you know, he, it's, it's, it's almost like he's saying like, don't do this. And he's assuming that, what what is happening with the postal service is being done for a good purpose like that it's being done to to help create efficiency within the system and it's like no this is this is a pretty explicit attempt to un, like undermine the election so you know while i well, appreciate wait, the wait, fact- wait, 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 wait but there there has been a long standing debate and we talked about this yesterday about the future of the postal service because it has lost a lot of its it's mail because people communicate electronically. And and you pointed out yesterday, this should be looked at as a service to citizens for communication. But there are people that believe it should be a self-sustaining business. Yoast clearly is on the side that this is not a good business model, you know, which which I think you made a very good argument. Right. It's not a business model. It's a service. That's what government is, education and all these things. But there there has been a long-standing argument that the U.S. Postal Service needs to be self-sustaining. Well, come on. The education system can be profitable. Ask all the <laughs> charter schools and Betsy DeVos. <laughs> I think Please. like what we were Give talking, me a break. <laughs> what we were talking about yesterday with this was like, is this a fight you really want to pick? And I think the Republicans are recognizing that a lot of people depend on the Postal Service for their medicines and their their social security checks and and people in rural areas are particularly dependent right. upon it. So, you know, uh, I think the Republicans are getting in on this because they realize that it's a loser to to condemn the postal. But service. if they but if they do it the way Portman did with his lame, weak communication, doesn't mean anything. This is an attack on the postal service. There's no way you can argue that it's not. And everybody, regardless of party, regardless of party loyalty, should stand up and say, stop this right now. This is a vital service. There's nothing to replace it. You are way beyond your skis. Stop it. And yet you don't get that. You get mild-mannered Rob Portman, OG, OG, which you know has been the hallmark of his relationship with Trump. I really appreciated Dave Yost taking a hard stand, even though you may disagree with his underlying argument that after the election, it needs to be cleaned up. 
he did something bold, which we need. We need bold leadership here. Stop messing with the post office. <laughs> this is a no-brainer. I mean, it's it's blowing up. It's backfiring, and I think you'll see some of this coming away. But I also think people are going to be very hesitant to put ballots into the mail. Okay, it's this week in the CLE. What have we learned about the reasons for the arrest of an Ohio correspondent for InfoWars, the website that trades in debunked conspiracy theories? Chris Ranowski, I have a kind of a love-hate relationship with this story. It's it's a story that's generating lots of buzz, but it's so stupid. So yeah. what did we find I hate out? it, and I would love to talk about something else. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, this is Laura Johnston, and I uh, don't <laughs> – please don't dox me. Um, no, I – so we learned a little more about this story uh, yesterday, and it turned out it is not the uh, deep state conspiracy that we that we were told it might be over the weekend. Uh, I got I, I have it on good authority that the Clintons and George Soros do not control the Portage County Sheriff's Office. Um, but so but, you say. So I say. Right. That's what they want me to believe. Um, no. The so Millie Weaver, who was a personality. uh uh, a failed actress and a correspondent for InfoWars um, was arrested over the weekend along with her boyfriend and her brother. And the sheriff's office said that the reason that they were arrested, and we didn't have really a lot of details uh, about this until yesterday, is that they threw her mother on the ground, stole her cell phone, and then one of them like took it out in the woods and threw it. And the reason they are accused of doing this or that police believe that she did this was because the mother was recording audio of the trio verbally abusing her and they noticed the phone in her back pocket and they attacked her, according to police. And so the sheriff's deputies showed up and, you know, they started talking to these three people, the boyfriend and the brother and 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 Millie Weaver and and their stories didn't kind of line up and, and and it's in the in the sheriff's deputy who wrote the report specifically said the story do, did not stand up to basic scrutiny in the form of basic investigation my and, favorite part chris was when they would ask them a question and they would all look at each other and stumble for a second before somebody would volunteer an explanation and it was like the others would go yeah yeah that's it that sounds right I mean, now sounds my like favorite part my favorite part is when she took out her phone and started demanding people's badge numbers. Like, <laughs> you know, the only time I see that is at protests from uh, progressives at uh, with the police. But, you know, one thing we left out of the story, and you know, because I, we'd mentioned it in earlier stories, there was a GoFundMe that was set up for her that's raised over $150,000 right now. And this just kind of underscores what a grift this whole kind of right-wing persecution ordeal is. I mean, these are people who peddle supplements, dangerous ideas, and and so they can be persecuted and 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 then they raise a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You know, and 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 these are right-wing people. These are people who purport to support police officers and 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 law enforcement. And then to to read a police report like this where. They're, you know, getting in these cops faces and being disrespectful. It's it's strange. You know, it's it's interesting to see them being treated the way that they they discount this kind of stuff happening to other people. 
and 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 to see them and and by all accounts i mean i like reading this report and and reading the story that Corey wrote these cops did a very thorough investigation on on what could have been an, a very easily dismissed des- domestic violence. Well, but call. let me but, but let me push you on that a little bit because that struck me. I mean, they put a lot of work into this case. There are times I don't think Cleveland police puts that kind of work into a homicide. So, does that give rise to an accusation that they only did this because they were trying to take out the Infowars correspondent, or is it just that out in that county they do a much better job of investigating all crime? Well, I mean, look, it, it's smaller communities. Police have more time to address things like this in a thorough way. One of the things, one of the remarks was that they had this had nothing to do with their political beliefs or, or what she chooses to publish. That was according to the prosecutor, you know, and, you know, you have to understand that they might be investigating the fact that they were taking advantage of this mother or elder abuse or, you know, I mean, there's there's. Domestic violence, you know, when you open that door a little bit and you see that, you know, they're throwing this woman on the ground and and, you know, they're they're verbally abusing her as police say they are. Well, you know, they're, and, they're and, probably trying to see if something else is going on there. But, you know? but, they, but they also told them the police that, you know, she was starting to have dementia and she lost her phone two days ago. I mean, they, they portrayed her in a really bad light that the police could figure out wasn't true. Look, I salute it. They did a great job and it appears investigating this case. Uh, I think there are people in Cuyahoga County that wishes they got the same kind of investigations on their crimes. Right. This week in the CLE, did Ohio play a significant role in the Democratic National Convention's opening night? And what else happened there? Jane Cahoon, this is a talker. Everybody wants to talk about the Democratic National Convention with Michelle Obama and all the things that happened. And our news peg for bringing it into this podcast is former Ohio Governor John Kasich, one of our very favorite people. <laughs> <laughs> I say facetiously. Well, first of all, we, we, we got our first taste of what a virtual convention looks like, which was just so interesting. I mean, I mean, on some things, they did a really good job, like the national anthem. I mean, it was really moving and, you know, where they had all these many faces singing. And um, But anyway, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent. Yes, the, the news that we covered was John Kasich's speech, which you know, was uh, pre-recorded. So here we are watching it like after 10 o'clock at night and we see John Kasich like standing in this field in Westerville, Ohio at the intersection of two paths, two paths. Does that sound familiar? That's one of his um, favorite themes. He wrote a book by that name, but it was also the theme of his first gubernatorial campaign about, you know, we have two paths, you know, which one are we going to choose? So that's the theme he chose for for his speech. And it was, you know, he talked about Joe Biden and what a what a good person he was. And he I think he he obviously was chosen because he's a Republican and he's trying to appeal to those Republicans who are disenchanted with with Donald Trump. But he was trying to reassure Republicans that Biden wasn't going to go all lefty after getting elected, you know, and he was confident in that. But 
Anyway, you know, though, go ahead. The, 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 I, what really disappointed me about him, you know, he he look, we've written numerous stories about the different faces of John Kasich. He's a chameleon. You know, when he started as governor here, when he, you know, the path he was talking about was when the bus goes down, that'll run you over if you don't work with him. You know, and he would claim he was Tea Party before the Tea Party. But by the end of his term, he was Mr. Soft and Friendly. And I want to, you know, treat people right. And but two <laughs> hours before the the speech he took a shot at AOC you know saying that the party's gone too far left and that's not conciliator that's not trying to unify the country that's creating division it just undermined his whole message and it's an interesting you know it's an interesting highlight of the democratic party that there is this rift about how far left it should go and how middle of the road it should go i just was stunned that the unusual nature of having a Republican speak at the Democratic National Convention and then just before to do something like that, it, I think it undermined yeah. his message. Right. And it's weird. They, it's sort of like they wanted to have a little something for everyone. They, they did have other Republicans like um, Christine Todd Whitman and Susan Molinari uh, talk about, you know, how they were supporting Biden. But they also, you know, had Bernie Sanders appealing to the left and you know the farther left and uh so it was it was interesting how they how they put the whole thing together well and really the message isn't about the democratic party <laughs> i think the message that everybody's trying to get what you've un done is unify a whole bunch of people with competing interests who just want trump gone that they right. look at where this country is the lack of leadership he's shown on the coronavirus and a bunch of other things and what the country will look like if he's in for another four years, right. which can be pretty frightening. And Michelle Obama is the one who really crystallized all that. And I, I mean, she is just such a fantastic speaker. I just she she blew everyone else away. Well, and when she said, if you don't think it can get worse, <laughs> believe me, it can. You know, I mean, she's looking at a guy who, you know, he talked to China about how can I change the Constitution to get extra terms? The people love me. They want to keep me around. So so I think that's what they're trying to do. Again, which surprised me about John Kasich. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Can gambling at Ohio's casinos and racinos actually be ahead of where it was a year ago even with the dis dangers presented by the coronavirus. Jane Cahoon, this story is a shocking one to me. I would have <laughs> never predicted this was a possibility. And I think it speaks to the power of addiction. So let's go through what Rich Exner reported and then talk about its significance. Right. People who love to gamble, I guess they just can't be deterred. So for the month of July... Uh, which I think was the first full month that the casinos and racinos were back open. Uh, gambling was up 11.6% compared to a year ago. And this was led in large part by the near doubling in business at the Hollywood Casino in Toledo. And this was while the Detroit casinos were still closed. They didn't open back up until August, I believe. So, Presumably, we had a lot of Michiganders uh, crossing the border to gamble. But in greater Cleveland, uh, the, the, the numbers were up at, when you combine them all. And in most of the facilities, more people, there was more money spent gambling <laughs> this year 
in spite of right. the coronavirus than last year. I, it was up like 2.1% overall in the greater Cleveland Akron market. Most people are working really hard to avoid the coronavirus. They're, they're, they're taking limited trips to stores and they're, you know, the movie theaters are still closed and theaters are still closed and sports is all closed down. Yet casinos are drawing them in. I, I think it's just evidence of addiction. People cannot cannot stop themselves even if it's risky from what we're hearing i haven't been in a casino but from what we're hearing they're they're very very good about disinfecting and and keeping people apart there haven't been any citations i'm aware of at casinos for violating the rules but man i just am stunned that people are (laughs) flocking to them yeah i mean there's a lot of touching going on in those facilities touching of machines and so forth but i think we've learned that the, the virus is spread more by the, you know, uh, through the air. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's a factor. But but yeah, supposedly they are keeping things really clean. OK, so this week in this CLE, how much is the University of Akron paying its former presidents to teach classes at the same time it is talking about pulling millions of dollars out of reserves to cover shortfalls resulting from the coronavirus? Krishnanowski, this is one of those things. That is guaranteed to bite you, right? Your president leaves, you give him a sweetheart deal. And then later when you're broke, you know, people point to it and say, what are you doing? And what are they doing? Well, if there's one thing I've learned about this country is that if somebody gets paid enough money, they don't care what people think. So, um, so yeah, yesterday, uh, Robin Goist wrote a really great story about the fact that, uh, the University of Akron is going to pay uh, former president Luis Proenza, like $300,000 to teach this academic year, uh, while they're laying off other faculty and possibly dipping into the university's reserves to offset, uh, millions of dollars in lost money, uh, because that resulted from the coronavirus pandemic. Um, the university also might have to pay a second former president, Scott, uh, Scarborough, more than $112,000 to teach. If the union representing some faculty prevails in a grievance contesting the elimination of Scarborough's position and others. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a uh, uh, it, bad optics, I think, is what they say in public relations when when stuff like this comes out uh, in a crisis. And and yeah, so there's a there's four hundred and twelve thousand dollars that is going to go to two people at a time when not only is the University of Akron, but a lot of universities are going to be struggling to figure out, you know, how to get students back to class safe, if that's even possible. And, and, you know, scrambling to how to figure out how to pivot to teaching online. Proenza too, for perspective, he's one of the reasons they're in financial distress. I mean, he gets credit for building up that campus and making it what it is, but he did so by running that university into enormous amounts of debt that is sandbagging it and will for a long time. So so while they're talking about going into reserves, he, he put them there and, then, you know, they're going to have to pay him a bunch of money. You would think for the good of the order, he'd say, look, keep other people that make less than me. You can keep three people to my one. I'm going to walk away because I'm loaded. I've been paid really well by this university. I'm surprised we didn't hear from him. 
Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that during the coronavirus crisis, he didn't have to line up at the food bank to eat. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, the school the school might need to draw about thirty two million dollars from its reserves. So, you know, saving close to a half a million dollars if you round up would actually probably make an impact. Okay, it's this week in the CLE. On the day Ohio Governor Mike DeWine is set to announce his guidelines for high school sports, if he lives up to his word, are school districts in Cuyahoga County getting together to postpone contact sports until spring? Jane Cahoon, the Parma School Superintendent, took a big leadership role here, and it was surprising how many of his colleagues across the county agree with him. What's this story about? Yeah, uh, high school sports. This is really my specialty, Chris, so thanks. <laughs> um Actually, he he circulated a petition and it was signed by 22 of the 31 school districts, as well as the Brunswick schools in in Medina County. And, you know, they want to move the the fall contact sports to, to the spring. And, you know, I guess the way they described it is, you know, we see like Ohio State and the Big Ten not playing and and, you know, I, I think they've accepted that the non-contact sports can can go forward but they're but they're really concerned about about the contact sports like football and soccer yeah i but you know I, it's a smack your forehead duh kind of moment you're the contact sports nobody has really come up with the plan to keep it safe it's been stunning that that's been moving forward uh so i guess in one hand it's not surprising that that 20 plus of the, the school districts would get together and say yeah what are we thinking um, but on the other hand, Mike DeWine telegraphed last week that he's not going to stop this, that he's going to leave it up to the schools. I just wonder how much this petition affects what he's saying today. If, I mean, if you're hearing from superintendents that what what are you thinking? This is crazy. Does that alter DeWine a little bit to think maybe I should give a little bit firmer guidelines about kids playing contact sports? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it's it's one county, so you know who knows what's what's going on across the rest of the state. And we know that the decision about Ohio State got so much pushback from players and parents and so forth. So it's it's really hard to say. But you're right. Dewine did strongly hint that he's going to let this go forward with some strong protocols in place. And there is a big difference between high school football and college football. College football is a big money machine. You know, whatever they need to do, they got the money for it because they rake it in. School systems don't have much money. And so keeping those kids safe, if it requires some spending, they really don't have the the means to do it. So it's going to be a big day if Mike DeWine, sometimes when he announces what he's going to do, he comes in and says, okay, I'm not doing that today. I'm not ready. <laughs> but as of right now, we're expecting to hear from him on high school sports. It's this week in the CLE. Why do doctors in greater Cleveland than elsewhere in the nation say a Russian coronavirus vaccine seems too dangerous to use? Chris Ranowski, the when this story first broke, they, the talk was that they didn't finish the protocols. But in our story, I saw a different kind of fear, a fear that, that an untested vaccine can give you a, an odd condition that actually makes the coronavirus more dangerous for you. What's that one about? Uh, yeah, so it said it's there's there's a possibility that the uh, Russian vaccine could actually give you ADE, uh, which is uh, we've talked about ADE quite a bit before the antibody dependent enhancement, um, and and it has it been present in past respiratory uh, virus vaccines. Uh, 
such as uh, Zika, dengue, and RSV, along with other types of coronavirus. And it happens uh, when somebody is exposed to the disease, the side effect can happen naturally, or if someone gets the vaccine is, is then exposed to the actual virus. So, you know, I think, you know, I think you can full stop, just say untested Russian <laughs> vaccination. <laughs> I think you could, I think that answers the question of why doctors uh, uh, here and elsewhere are probably a little leery of this. I think, you know, I, as, as Cameron uh, Fields pointed out in his story that, that, um, they basically just kind of skipped phase three of the the testing process, which is kind of an important step in a vaccine's development, which is where thousands of people get tested and studied to determine the drug's benefits and drawbacks. And remember, this is a this is a vaccine that Vladimir Putin said that his daughter took and and that it works quite effectively. But I think, you know, I, I think this is also just a, a, an attempt to sort of undermine American drug manufacturers and and beat us to market and and all of that stuff. But, you know, I guess they're letting loose with it and we'll see if it if if it's harmful to a lot of people. I don't know if we'll ever get an honest answer about whether or not it hurts a lot of people. But, you know, we don't get a lot of honest answers about our numbers about coronavirus either. So, you know, who's going to throw stones? Kind of dad lets his daughter lets his daughter do the untested vaccine. I mean, if he wants to believe in it, he should take the damn thing. But making your daughter, having your daughter do it. The amazing thing about this is countries are lining up to get this when it's available. Mexico mm-hmm. is the latest, the Philippines. And it's like, what are you, what are you thinking? Does anybody remember thalidomide? I mean, <laughs> untested or- drugs are dangerous, man. That's why there's a, there's long-term tested protocols for making sure things are safe to use. And I, it boggles my mind. I put a question out on my text uh, service the, the, to people and it was pretty much unanimous. There's no way anybody that, that sent me a note would take this vaccine with its current state of testing. Look, if you believe this is effect, is going to be effective or does it pose some risk, I got a warehouse of hydrochloroquine in Florida to sell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll leave it there. It's this week in the CLE. All right, good discussion. We went deep on the post office today. We're going to have to leave Dave Yost's money-saving work for another day. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jane. Thanks to everybody who listens this week in the CLE. CLE.